Well, I was glad I didn't know you guys were sharing testimonies this morning because that's just great right into the theme of where we're going today. The last uh, five weeks, we've been doing a refresher course on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which he had already talked to them about. And he said in verse 8 that you will receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that word we told you is the word dunamis, which is where we get the same word in our English language, dynamite. He brings dynamite, miracle-working power with him when he comes and gets on the inside of you. When you receive the whole infilling of the Holy Spirit, he moves in with all his power and his ability and his efficiency and all that he can do, so it's no longer just you. And one of the, the biggest, like, I, I guess when we look across Christianity, how sad it is that when we get saved and we get filled with the Holy Spirit, most people look exactly like they did before. No, there needs to be some expectation in our hearts that the words of Jesus are true and that he meant what he said, he did what he said, and what he said is possible actually happened. And he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem in Judea and into Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And so it's interesting how they were equipped and empowered to go and do. It's funny how you don't need the power when you're sitting back doing nothing. But when you stretch forth your hands, like he said, to lay hands on the sick or to, Miss Marnie, agree with those who are in need of prayer and healing, when you do that, the Holy Spirit takes hold with you. Do nothing, get nothing. Step out in faith, man, he'll meet you every time. And so you said, told his disciples, you'll receive power and then it'll enable you to go and do something. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's just understand something culturally here for a moment about that. At the civilization at that time, you generally were born in a town, you lived in a town, and you died in a town. Unless you were conscripted into the army and they forced you to go die somewhere else, you stayed where you were for your life. And so it's amazing to see what happened with Jesus and when he called his disciples that they broke the cycle of how they'd always lived and how it's always been. He took a bunch of fishermen from the Sea of Galilee and he toured them around the country. And it didn't stop there. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, you're going to go to Samaria too and you're going to go out to the ends of the earth. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and when you choose to yield to him, he will break the cycle of your life, of how things have been and things will be new and for them he said they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit now in week number one we talked about how Jesus said in John 14 that most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me that the works that I do he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And that's such a huge statement because we read the miracles of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the amazing things that he did. You know, uh, uh, the, the lame were, were able to walk, the blind were able to see, the dead were risen. He, he multiplied the fish and the loaves. He walked upon the water. You know, it, it's amazing to see the stories that Jesus left for us in the Gospels. But he said, the works that I do, you'll do also, 
and greater because I go to my Father. What is he talking about? Because I go to my Father, John 14 is him talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go back to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he comes, he's going to lead you, he's going to guide you, he's going to show you things to come, he's going to bring things to your remembrance, he's going to be the comforter, he's going to be the helper, he's going to be your advocate, he's going to go to bat on your behalf, he'll take hold with you, he'll show you how to walk into paths of peace, he'll show you how to really glorify the Father. Jesus said things were going to change, and John 14 was him telling about what was going to happen in the book of Acts. And so today, as we go forward, I don't want to do a big teaching today. I just want to share stories. And as I was reflecting this week, we look at the stories of Jesus, and as we've already said, they're awesome and amazing, but he said to his disciples, you can do it too and greater. So if he meant what he said, we should see that in the Bible. And so this morning, I just want to share stories. You good with that this morning? Good, because I'm doing it whether you want to or not. <laughs> and I want to go over to Acts chapter 8, where during this last five weeks, we've referenced Acts uh, chapter 8 several times, where Philip, you know, things get a little too hot in Jerusalem, where Saul is persecuting the church, he's killing the Christians, he's taking them off to jail, and so Philip's like, you know, I'm out of here. And he goes up to Samaria, and he begins to preach Jesus to them, and it says that they believed because of what he said, and because of the miracles and the healings in which he did. And after they believed what Philip said, Jerusalem heard about it. And they sent Peter and John down to so that they could receive the Holy Spirit as well because they had not yet received him. But I think that's generally where we stop talking about Philip. But there's more to that story. And so I want to pick it up here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. It says, Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And that's a great place to stop for a second. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Here we have an angel showing up to give Philip some instructions. And why would we now all of a sudden see angels showing up to talk? Just like we see with Paul. When Paul was on the ship and they were in the middle of the storm, an angel showed up and said to him, Don't worry, Paul. The ship's going to be gone. All the cargo's going to be gone, but no one's going to die. How, why is this now an experience that people beyond Jesus are beginning to have? Why? One of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is discerning of spirits. And so Philip, being a Spirit-filled Christian, has his eyes open to see this angel to give him instructions. And so he speaks to Philip, and he says, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, there, there's no unimportant words in the Bible. It was told us this is desert for a reason. You don't take the desert road unless you're prepared for it and you're equipped for it. Man, because you get caught out in the desert unprepared, it gets a little hot. There's not a lot of shelter. There's not a lot of provisions. And so if you're going to go down the desert road, you go in prepared and you go in equipped. And sometimes when the Lord begins to rise up on the inside of you and give you directions and says, go this way, you may feel a little unequipped. 
You may feel a little unprepared. He is your full supply. He is what you need. And all you need to do is be obedient. Come on, you think about just natural deserts. Uh, When I was uh, in school, I took a trip from Oklahoma and we drove across to California. And in order to make that trip, you have to go through West Texas. You got to go through New Mexico. You got to go into Arizona and Nevada. And guess what? That's all desert land. And so when we would leave a town, there would usually be a sign, last gas station for X amount of miles. How many of you know you got to use a little wisdom and check the gauge on your car and go, do I have enough? I want to say it this way, when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, which gauge are you checking? Are you looking to the natural, can I do this, should I do this? What is the gauge of the Holy Spirit saying on the inside of you? Because he will build you up, he will charge you up, he will bring his miracle working power, because he didn't leave it at home when he came and got on the inside of you. And so he says, go down south, this is desert. And so he arose And he went. I like that he didn't try to convince the Holy Spirit that this wasn't a good idea. He just went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now here we find someone who's prepared for the desert road. He's not out there alone. He's out there on his chariots. He's a man of great resources. He's a man of great authority. And on that road, God had a divine encounter prepared for him and for Philip. And you'd be amazed at what happens on the other side of your obedience. If you'll just step out and say, God, I trust you. I believe that what your word said is true, and I'm going to step out in faith. If you said it, I believe it, that settles it. Come on, we have too much internal dialogue sometimes with ourselves where the word says it's one way and we go, yeah, but get your butt in the right place and get, that's getting going. And so here we find the Ethiopian eunuch, a man of great authority, and he was returning from Jerusalem and he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, interesting, So it starts with an angel coming and giving him directions. And as he went and was obedient, the Holy Spirit continued to guide him. Well, isn't that what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do? That he will guide you into all truth? He will lead you and show you things to come? It's amazing that what he said, he meant, and here it is happening. Maybe it's the same way with you. When you take him at his word. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Come on. He got a moving. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Thank God for well-placed questions. Philip knew how to set the hook. Do you know what it is you're reading? Do you understand that? Come on, I think in the body of Christ in general, we don't ask enough questions we check the barometer of our feelings and we look at our the experience of our life rather than saying god here's my question it's amazing how he'll answer and get the information to you and the wisdom to you when you dare to ask the question stay curious ask the holy spirit 
who leads you into all truth. And so Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Oh, thank God that he'd already prepared Philip to guide him. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb to its shearers silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who declare? And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And if you want to know what he was reading, that's Isaiah chapter 53. Do you know what Isaiah chapter 53 is about? It's about the crucifixion of Jesus. What better portion for him to be reading at the right time when Philip shows up on the scene and says, do you understand what you're reading? And of course, he didn't know. He said, I need someone to guide me. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, come on, good, well-placed questions. I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this of himself or some other man that's a great question for him to be asking and then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture he preached Jesus to him hallelujah he preached Jesus to him why because the scripture reveals Jesus it's going to point to him in all things and I think we get too busy on our pet projects and our politics and all these things we need to get back to the simplicity of what the world needs is Jesus That he came, he died, so that you could go into the grave with him, that you could be risen up with him, and that you could stay with him for eternity, forever and ever and ever. Back to the simplicity of Jesus. And now as they went down the road... They came to some water, and this is why I wanted to start here today. We've had Baptism Sunday. These five people, they were declaring before you all, I believe in Jesus. I've been immersed into him. And so here in this story in Acts 8, when they came down the road, they found some water, and the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. That's as simple as it is. You believe, get in the water and declare it. Come on. That's just how it is. It doesn't have to be, oh, once I'm mature enough, or once I do this, or once God shows me this. No, if you believe, get in the water and declare it. And so that's exactly what they did. They went down and he baptized them. But that's not the reason why I wanted to tell this story in in, in its entirety today. The next verse says, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The Spirit of the Lord caught him away. He's, the word there is not just like, oh, he took him. No, it means to snatch. He went, and he pulled Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Think about this. The Lord just, the, the two went into the water. Only one came up and he's standing there alone because the Lord just took him. Why do I want it to start here? He said, the works that I do and greater will you do because I go to my Father. We don't see that in the life of Jesus. 
But here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he just carries them away, so there's one standing. And it gets even better. It says, but Philip was found at Azotus. That's 30 miles away. Two went into the water, and one came up 30 miles away. Why? Because God had more work for Philip to be doing elsewhere. It says, in passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Come on, God will get you to where you need to go. Man, I remember a story that Billy Brim told years ago that dur during uh, the, the final years of the, the Soviet Union, they were helping a man who was in uh, Siberia. And the man didn't have a car, but they were supporting him financially. And whenever the man needed to go to another town to preach or do whatever he needed to do, how many of you know Siberia is a little bit of a rugged terrain? It's pretty cold, a lot of snow, a lot of ice that the Lord would just... Take him to where he needed to go. And they heard this story and they said, oh, that's amazing. I, uh, that's really great. And they said, here's what they, they said, why don't we get together and buy this man a car? And so they did that. They bought the man a car. And you know what happened? The Lord stopped moving him to where he needed to be. And now he had to sit on the icy roads and drive. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to let God be God and stop putting our wisdom into it. And so here, that's exactly what happened with Philip. Two went in the water, one came up, and the Lord whoo, snatched him away. Why? Because greater works than these will you do, because I go unto my Father. Come on, we don't have time to share all the stories of the book of Acts today, but we can just hit a few. If we go right after the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he preaches the first Holy Spirit-inspired message. And at the end, he said, they ask him, I already quoted it this morning, what should we do? And Peter says to them in Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, or the word there in the, Hebrew, in the Greek is crooked. Be saved from this crooked generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Talk about church growth. Yeah. 120 to 3,000 in 120 in one day. And it says, And they continued steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. How many of us know that those are important things? Getting together with believers of like precious faith and stirring yourself up is a good thing. Yes. Reminding yourself of what the Word of God has said and the doctrine of the Bible is a good thing. Yes. And getting together and praying is a good thing. And it says in verse 43, then fear, and that word fear doesn't mean they were afraid, it means that awe and reverence came upon every soul. There needs to be some reverence enter back into our churches these days and to honor God for who he is. God, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. If I can cheer for a football, I can shout for Jesus. Come on. There needs to be some reverence. Come back into our heart and put him in the position of that he is worthy. He is the Lord of all, and you either confess him or you're out of luck. It says, and reverence came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs 
were done through the apostles. And so as the book of Acts progressed, it wasn't some here and some there. It says many wonders and signs. Remember last week we talked about that word signs. It's the word semion, which means unusual experiences transcending the course of nature. There were things that people couldn't explain and didn't really understand, but they just kept happening. Come on, there's a lot of miracles that have happened in my life that I don't know how they happened, but I know they did and I can glorify God for them. I'm so glad for the line of miracles that have happened in my life as a child and as an adult, and I'm so glad that they didn't stop, and I'm so glad the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even more than that, I'm glad that He is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't do it because He loves Jordan more than you. He loves us all. And when we receive the gift and walk in what He's given to us, man, miracles are just everyday things. And so many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Leading into chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. Why? Because they continued steadfast in the doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. So if it was good then, he kept doing it. And so they went up at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour, which is like early in the morning. It says, And there a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Give us your attention. And I love this next verse. It says, And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Do you want to know what another word for expecting is? Hope. The word that's used in the New Testament for hope is elpis. It's a confident expectation of good things to come. Now, hope, having hope is better than having no hope, right? He didn't look at them and say, oh, what does this guy want to do? What does he want to say? You know, just a few weeks ago, Bennett and I were having a daddy day, and we went down street, down, uh, downtown Ottawa on Bank Street, and we were walking, and I've noticed that there's a lot more homeless people down the downtown core than there used to be. And we were standing uh, waiting for the light to change, and there was a homeless man who was just laying, and he wouldn't look at us. You know, there was no expectation. You know, if you're going to have your bowl out to beg, maybe you should look at the people and have some expectation. I'm glad that this lame man at the gate had some expectation because having hope is better than no hope. Because do you know what faith is? Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, faith will never rise up. If you expect to receive nothing from God, guess what? Your expectation will be continually met over and over and over again. So why don't you go ahead and raise up your expectations? Rather than expecting nothing, start to expect the word to be at work in your life. Come on, I love what Mark Hankins said. He says, expectation is the breeding ground of miracles. You get your heart stirred. You begin to see something different. You begin to expect something different. And guess what? Something different will begin to start happening. Signs and wonders. 
And so he gave them his attention. Give God your attention. Give the word your intention. And expect to receive. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now it's a good speech, Peter. I'm going to give you something. It's not what you're looking for, but I'm going to give you something. In the name of Jesus, rise up. I'm glad Peter didn't leave there because you know who else had an expectation? Peter. Because it says, and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. Why? Because he expected him to be healed in that moment. I'm going to give you what you actually need, which is not a little money. I'm going to give you your legs back so that you can go out and provide for yourself. And Peter had an expectation that when he spoke in the name of Jesus, something was going to happen. And so rather than just sitting back and saying, okay, let's see what God does. No, he stepped out in faith. He grabbed him and he pulled him up. And it says immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What did this man have to walk and leap and praise God about? Everything. His life just changed. Come on. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I like that. He didn't try to hide it. When God does good things in your life, go ahead and share them and tell everybody about how good God is. And it says, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Come on. And Peter had a captive audience to be able to preach Jesus. Man, I like what Lester Summerall used to say, healings and miracles are the dinner bell of the gospel. And it just continues. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. Then again, I, I like that it says many and not just a few. We need to change our expectation. Many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And it says, Yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And there was, began to be this division, people who refused to believe and those who did believe. And you don't need to concern yourself so much with what other people think. Those other people are like, Yeah, we're not getting involved with them. It says that the rest did, didn't dare to join them. You don't have to matter, let it be a part of your consideration what other people believe. You need to solidify yourself in what the Word said to believe. Come on. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Come on, we're talking about greater works because Jesus went to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit back. We didn't see Jesus doing this. Everybody that Jesus healed, he said, get up or put mud in the eyes or, you know, whatever. He was deeply involved. Here, Peter, he's just walking by. But there was such an expectation in the heart of the people that that's all they needed. 
It's like that woman with the issue of blood. When she heard of Jesus, she pushed through the crowd and said, if I can only touch the hem of his garden garment, I will be healed. And what happened? She got what she believed, and Jesus said, who touched me? Why? He wasn't even involved in the initiation of that. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Faith places a demand upon the Lord, and the Lord shows up every time. And so they brought sick out into the streets, and they laid them on beds and couches that at least a shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from surrounding cities, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. There was an expectation. Why? You don't drag a sick person from the next town having to carry them on your back or drag them along in a cart unless you have an expectation in your heart. Hallelujah. And it says, The high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Now, indignation, we generally pass off as they were angry. But the Greek word that's used here is not the word for they were angry. The Greek word that they translated into English indignation is jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Look at what they're doing, and we have nothing to offer. The Sadducees and the Pharisees came against Jesus and the apostles because they were jealous. I've got nothing to offer. And religion really has nothing to offer. Offer the word. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's about what you believe and what you're willing to expect from God. And it says, They laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. But at night... An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And you could say, yeah, go teach them about life. That's not what he said at all. He said, teach them the words of this life. The spirit-filled life. The word for words there is rhema. It's heavenly inspired utterance. And the word life there is zoe. It's God quality and condition of life. He wasn't saying go teach them how to live their life. He was teaching them about the God life. And so here, they tried to put them in prison, and the angel just goes, nope, I know the code, door opens. And it's the interesting thing, we didn't see that with Jesus, but we do see that again with the apostles. You know, eventually they rise up and they chop James's head off, and they put pre- Peter in prison with the expectation they're going to kill him the next day. And that night, he's asleep in the prison. You know, that's just a testament to the peace of God, that you're getting executed the next day, and he's not worried, he's sleeping. And an angel shows up, and he's sleeping. And the Bible says, this is Acts chapter 12, if you want to read it later. The angel smote him on the side. He's like, hey, Peter, wake up. Come on. We got things to do. And Peter was like, thinking he's still asleep and in a dream. He gets up, and he follows the angel. And as they go through the prison, the doors just keep open until finally they're out on the, the street, and Peter realized, now I'm standing alone. And he came to himself, it says, and he's like, well, maybe I should get off the street and go find my friends. And so he went and banged on the door. 
And the, uh, the disciples and their friends had all gathered to pray that Peter would be released. This is a funny story. You've got to read it. Acts chapter 12. They were in there praying that Peter would be delivered. And Peter comes and bangs on the door. And a little girl comes and says, who is it? And he's like, it's Peter. And so she doesn't open the door. She goes and goes, hey, Peter's at the door. And they go, no, surely he isn't. There was obviously no expectation in their prayers, right? And so he banged again, and finally they opened the door and like, oh, it is Peter. Come on, pray in expectation. <laughs> but I'm just talking about unusual miracles and signs. In Acts chapter 9, and we'll wrap up with these two stories here. In Acts chapter 9, verse 32, it says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Eight years is a long time. I think if you're paralyzed, eight months is a long time. Eight days is more long. Eight hours is more than you want to be in that condition. This man has been this way for eight years. And Peter said to him, I love this, it's so simple. Because we often make things so difficult. I got to pray the right prayer. I got to get in the right tone of voice. No, Peter just said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make up your bed. And he rose immediately. Why? The man believed what Peter said, and he got up and responded. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What do you say? Miracles is the dinner bell of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. It says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Now, if you're going to do it, I'd just leave it in the first one because Tabitha sounds a lot better than Dorcas if you're coming to names. So Tabitha, and it says, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And I like this story because I've heard so many times over the years, well, if someone was going to be healed, it would be my great aunt, whatever. She was a pillar of the church and she was always there. No, your good deeds and your charitable works don't mean anything next to faith. And she had all the good works and had done many things, but she still got sick and died. And it wasn't just like, oh, maybe, you know, she might still be sleeping. No, it says they washed her and they laid her in the upper room, meaning she was dead and they cleaned her and prepared her for burial. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and he went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Look at all the things she's made for us. You know, as I was reading that and going over my notes this morning, if something stood out to me that I've heard a lot over the years of being a pastor here, people come to church looking for, well, do you have a knitting group for the old ladies? 
You know, oh, do you have a, this for the men? And we look for what all the programs we can attach ourselves. The programs won't save you, and they won't help you. And here, when this lady's dead that they love, they're saying, look what she knitted me. And they're weeping. And this is what happens next. Peter put them all out. Why? Because there was zero expectation in their hearts. There was any, no faith rising up to say, this is not the end. Tabitha is not dying here. We're going to raise her up off this bed. No, they were weeping of what they had lost. And Peter had come to restore her back to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so rather than letting that unbelief and that lack of faith stay in the room, he's guys, get out of here. Come on, you need, when you're going through a rough time in life, be careful who you surround yourself with. Don't get around people who are naysayers, people of unbelief, and who are expecting the worst. Come on, if you need a miracle, get around people who know how to believe and have an expectation. I remember Mark Hankins telling the story that a number of years ago now, his wife had, a, had an aneurysm and basically was on, on life support in the hospital. And he had all these Christians kept showing up. Oh, we just came. You know, we thought we'd pray. Oh, isn't it just such a bad thing that's happened? And he got so sick of all these unbelieving Christians showing up, he kicked them out and put a, a, a paper on the door that said, no unbelief allowed. And he said, you listen to me. You're coming up off that bed. That blockage is disappearing and there will be no harm that continues down the road in this life. And within a few days, his wife woke up. They couldn't find the aneurysm. They couldn't find it. There's never been any brain damage from that point or anything like that because he chose, I'm not putting myself around unbelief. I'm getting in faith and I'm gonna believe and I expect that what God has said is true. And that's what Peter did here. He put them all out and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. So simple. Why? Because it's not the, 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 the levity or the brevity of your prayers, but the content of the faith of your heart. Yeah. Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And gave her, then he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up, and when he had called all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Come on. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. I wanted to stir you up in the stories of the New Testament this morning, that these stories are written for our example and our admonition. How do you know that, Pastor Jordan? Because Paul told us that. He told Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired for your admonition, your example, and your learning. It's good for rebuke. It's good for encouragement. It's good for both, whatever's needed. It's written for us to stir us. Let's be like that man at the beautiful gate. Turn our eyes to God expecting. Let faith rise up to meet the hope that we release. Yeah, amen. amen? So Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word is true and that there's no lies in it. You said what you said. You meant what you said. And so this morning, we have an opportunity that we can align our faith and our belief and our expectation with what your word says. Yeah. 
And so, Father, we just ask that with the power of the Holy Spirit, you stir these things in our heart for when we need them the most, when we need to be a light and an example to those around us, or when we're going through a hardship, that you remind us that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can overcome. And that all you said, you said that all things are possible to him who believes. And so we give you glory this morning. Father, we honor you. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Now this morning, maybe you're in here and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior like those who got baptized this morning. You don't have to wait another moment. You can cry out to Him and believe on Him today and step into the kingdom of God. Maybe you've got other things going on in your life. You need prayer for healing. You want to receive the Holy Spirit. Our Word Care team's right up here at the front and they would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you, celebrate with you, whatever it is you need. Don't leave church without getting a hold of somebody and stirring your faith. Amen? Amen. Pastor Robin, why don't you bring us to a close? Well, glory. In all things, we need to have expectation. And so this is offering time. And as we give this morning, uh, as we sow seed, we need to expect that we're investing into the kingdom of God and there's a great return by doing that. Amen? There's several ways you can give. You can give by uh, going online to wordchurch.ca forward slash give and or there's an envelope in the, in the seat in front of you and a basket at the back as you leave. Uh, hallelujah. So we like to say these things, this confession, as we're giving. So we put words, our faith, which are, is your words, are your faith being released? And so we're going to say this together. This is my seed. I sow it in the kingdom of God. Seed. Do what you do best, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. So the Word Care team is coming up here. If you do want prayer or the Holy Ghost or anything, they will agree with you. Uh, we have some refreshments at the back if you want to stick around for a bit. And uh, let's encourage those that got, uh, got baptized. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. You're blessed.